All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, John. Welcome to our second live streaming test of the new No Driving Gloves live streamed. Or should I, I shouldn't say new, should I, John? I should say the, the rebirth of the live streamed No Driving Gloves. The return to. The return to. So how has your, well, not week been, John, but let's see, we, we did our first test Thursday night. So how have the last four days been for you? Actually, I guess <laughs> two full days, actually. Do you really want to start like that? <laughs> well, I, has, has, I, I has, driving, has driving in Birmingham, Alabama gotten any better in the last two days? I didn't do anything on Friday, so I have no comment on that. I didn't have many issues when I was driving, but I took a vehicle in for service, as I alluded to, and dropped it off and told them what was wrong with it, respectfully. And they, of course, called back and said, now, what problem were you having? Of course. The woman wrote it down. You get in a pulsation from the front brakes. I want you to check the thickness of the pads. I want you to check how out around the rotors are and uh, let me know. Well, how do you know it's the front brake? And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, we've got some hot spots on your rear discs. Don't you mean drums? Oh, yeah, drums. And when when we see some hot spots, we recommend we do the front and the rear just to ensure you're not going to have any problems. So hell, just restore the whole damn car then while it's there. Make sure I don't have any problems. Actually, no, we'll what? just we'll just do the fronts because the rears are just literally doubling what you're going to charge me for the front. So I can bring it back. I'm not saving any money. It's not while I'm at it. So they go ahead, do the fronts, call me, get the car back. And I said, well, what's that total? Well, didn't somebody call and check with you? I said, somebody called and told me what was wrong with the car, but nobody gave me any numbers. Oh, well, it's going to be XXX. I said, I was when I dropped it off, I was shown a special and I was quoted this. Oh, let me check. We'll honor that. Only $80 difference between what they tried to charge me and what the quoted price was. No other problems other than show up at the, the place. They've got a lockbox on the front door like you would for a house for sale. So I said, I opened the conversation with, are you guys moving? She goes, no, why do you say that? Because of the lockbox on the front door. Oh, no, well, that's where we put the key. And then who's ever opening gets the code. So your employer doesn't trust any of the people here <laughs> with the key. What kind, of, what kind of shady side of Birmingham are you having cars? Well, when you really think about it, you go, why the hell did I leave the car there? But it's. It's actually a very large company that has locations, I know, throughout the state. I think there's five or six of them, at least in Birmingham. And so it's not like I'm dropping it off at Joe Brown's repair and, repair and uh, retitle emporium or something. <laughs> oh, it's not one of those. I, I like the ones that are coming out now that are uh, bring your own parts. Have you seen those oh, we, shops? We've had a BYOP place for long enough for me to know that the, the acronym from from the I mean, radio. They've been, they've been around for a few good amount of time. I just think it's funny. Bring your own parts and we'll just we'll just put them on. Well, you went down to pick a part and I pulled the old brakes off that, but they look better than mine here. Put them on. Well, the prob I, I don't understand how a company can survive like that. It's okay. I go to AutoZone and I'm. 
my battery's dead. They said my alternator. So you buy an alternator at AutoZone, then you take it to BYOP and have them put the part on for you. They don't do any diagnosis. Maybe it's not the alternator. Maybe it is the battery. Maybe it's a voltage regulator. Maybe it's something in the ECU. But you pay them to put the alternator on, you get your car back, it still doesn't work. The kind of people I imagine that are using a bring-your-own-parts installation place are not going to understand that there's 18 components or more in this system that can affect this. And the alternator went out because it's the same thing. You're just chasing and throwing parts on the alternator went out because part C broke and part C broke because part A broke and part A broke because part Q broke. And you don't solve the root of the problem. You solve the last known problem. And that's that parts chasing. And you end up, it's just, I, I, don't, I don't know how they survive. That That's a business concept that sounds wonderful. But I rank those places right up there with buy here, pay here. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And some places are buy here, pay here. You're not looking for anything quality, right? That's just so. That's uh, so. Uh, my actual question also to that was going to be what what new car do you own now because you took a car to a dealership for work? Well, I was telling <laughs> and, the and had story. some issues. So I was telling the story to my better half, and I said I did as I was pulling out of the complex. Think maybe I should just run by the Ford dealership and see what they have. And it really crossed my mind, but because I'm doing some other stuff with the personal business, which we'll get into in a couple of shows, I just don't want the additional debt. So for a guy who never does car maintenance, I've bought a set of tires for the Fiesta this year. I've bought a set of brakes for the Mini in December. And now I've bought a set of brakes for the Fiesta this week, and I've done two two oil changes on both of them since December, and the Fiesta's due for another one. But in this place, I got an oil change quote while it was there, and I said, geez, I can go to the Ford dealer, pay the same amount, they'll rotate the tires, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oddly enough, the Ford dealer was the exact same price on the brakes, except Ford would agree to turn the rotors if they needed turned, which that's something we probably should get into is at some point, not this show, turning rotors and just some of that other stuff that we used to do with cars that since we've become a replace all these parts, mm-hmm. it's easier to change the replace the rotors because you take them off, you put the new ones on, you don't have to wait that hour to turn them, et cetera. But we've gone from we've gone from the repairable automobile to uh, automobile has come into the throwaway culture right john it's uh, everything is made on pretty much everything is made on cars anymore that it's just uh, the throwaway mentality or you know replace right yeah so uh, your your rotors are getting a little low we're just going to take those off throw them away we're not thinking and, and and a lot of companies they don't even make them thick enough anymore to where they can actually be turned so well, they make- it's, it's all gone to throwaway culture. Well, they make them to the minimum, the, the minimum, minimum thickness. That way they do wear out. And I totally agree with you on the world's become throwaway parts. And not only that, throwaway cars, 
and throw away history because we can always just replace history with something new. You're trying to drag <laughs> us into the topic. I was about to do that too, John. That's where I was headed with this. You picked up on it. Hey, so, I pick up what you're putting down. Picking up what I'm putting down. And we're going to try not to put it down too much, but there are some problems in this world. So moving into the topic and, and where we're headed with the show today, uh, we've, we've, I think we've touched on this on the show before, uh, the idea of uh, replicas or recreations of historic vehicles, uh, sometimes historically significant uh, because of a race they participated in or their significance to some part of American history or world history or something of that nature. And sometimes these vehicles are historically significant milestone cars within a company's history. And, and what caught my eye was an article that came out through one of the uh, many automotive journalistic publications. I guess we could actually say the name, right, John? I don't think anybody's going to be upset, but uh, through a, a Haggerty article, um, I get some of the Haggerty uh, newsletters, things like that. And what caught my eye was one of the articles entitled, entitled Epic Reveal, GM's 50 millionth car rides again. So, so right here, even the title, the title is what caught my eye because as far as I knew from my Chevrolet history, my general general motors history was that the 50 millionth chevy bel air was lost to history so here i'm already looking at an article that says gm's 50 millionth car rides again well, that's weird i didn't think they knew where that car was i thought you know. so reading into the article they give a great history of how the 50 millionth story unfolds okay and go back and introduce you to what the first GM production car is considered, you know, 1908 Cadillac, uh, then the one millionth car in 1919, five, the five millionth car in 1926. And the cool thing, these, these all tend to fall in some of the different brands. So like I said, the first one, Cadillac, the one millionth is an Oldsmobile, the five millionth is a Pontiac, 10 millionth is a Buick, 25 millionth is a Chevrolet. And then we roll up the years. And we're getting ready to produce the 50 millionth uh, General Motors car. And kind of happens here. And this happens very, very frequently within the automotive industry. I'm trying to get to the part of the article. Sorry, guys. Um, there's actually, and, and we can get into some deep, deep topics here. But there's not always just one of these cars. And in the case of the 50 millionth Chevrolet, there were actually technically three of these built. And I, why can't I find the part of the article where it goes through the three that were built, John? Jeez. Um, but anyway, needless to say, they they kind of build a couple that are the lead ups and to do some PR promotional things. And then the actual 50 millionth car is built when the 50 millionth car is supposed to be built in the, the run. And that becomes the car that is heralded as the millionth car sorry for the motor background but it is a car show here but it yeah. turned the the 
quote from the article is, turns out that the Golden 55 was, in fact, three automobiles. Car number one assembled a month in advance of the celebration, was used for photos. The It's starred um, at the Motorama Auto Shows in 55, and then it was eventually sold to a lucky customer. Uh, the one was used in the parade, and I can't remember where the other one was used. The second Golden 55, I finally found it, mm-hmm. uh, started GM film entitled Achievement USA. So they built a film car. And yeah. then car number three is the actual 50 millionth parade car, everything that went out and, and did all the big, you know, the public type things. Uh, it was on the float in the Golden Carnival Parade. Uh, it was assembled in November 1954, just to give you guys an idea of when this car was assembled. Now, no, was now, it November 26, supposedly, the 50 millionth car was assembled? It says it here at the very beginning. I, I believe so. Yeah, I believe that was the right date. Yeah. So, I, just 20, I want to say my litigious 2024 self goes, I want to really like to see the advertising. Did they advertise they were giving you the 50 millionth Chevrolet so they lied in all their advertising? Or did they just say we're giving you a gold Chevrolet? <laughs> just just a side It's a good question. Research. Yeah. And, and that's the cool thing. Research, right? And uh, so, yeah, we can we, we could down a path here um, of other cars that are have this happen. You know, uh, one of the with General Motors is a lot of times they're uh, concept cars in this period, right? They're, they're Motorama cars, the big car show, um, you know, prototypes. Uh, you actually see the fact that on a lot of those, there were actually two of those cars built. And uh, one was sent east, one was sent west, and they traveled either side of the Mississippi. Um, GM putting small clues, each one, as to, you know, which one it was. A lot of, a behind the scenes of General Motors there with uh, being able to identify what uh, journalist from which, you know, actual press pool uh, car versus used a picture that went out over the wire. There was a lot of a lot of things GM did behind the scenes. So unfortunately, the known history of the 50 millionth, uh, the, the third car, the actual 50 millionth car is that it it went out and kind of got out into the and wound up basically in a in a barn fire garage fire being destroyed there's there's parts and pieces of its of it left um which are actually uh, still their whereabouts uh, things like that but recently as as the title in in lightens us gm's 50 millionth car rides again well how can that be if two cars are lost to history and we know one of them was destroyed? Well, it's because a replica has been built. And I don't know about you, John, but after reading the article and learning about the replica, I have some issues with it. Some issues. <laughs> and, some? you know, I, I think in this, uh, you know, to, to start, let's say, and recreations are not a bad thing in this world. There are a number of them out there. John has been involved in some. I've been involved with some. Uh, and they can be a very good good thing for automotive history. They can be a good 
opportunity to explain and show what the vehicle was. If they're done accurately, if they're done truthfully, all of this. And, and yeah, one of the big, I think I have with this car is that not a single part of this car from this article, as I should say, not a single part of this car is really American made. Okay. Uh, they go through to talk about how this car was built and they're using all the body panels, the new body, all the body panels come from a Taiwanese company along with the frame. Now I should say, okay, the engine is an 1955 engine that they restored, put in the car, the driveline components, uh, things like that. But I really, really, I guess I take issue with the fact that this replica, this recreation, whatever term we want to assign it, it's, it's the 50 millionth General Motors car. It's, it's a representation of the 50 millionth General Motors vehicle. And if I didn't say it already, it's a 1955 Chevy Bel Air. Sorry if I skipped that, but it's not using a single original body panel. It's not even using an original frame. And to, to represent something that was significant to the American auto industry by using parts that weren't made in the U.S., they're, they're not original GM parts, it just feels very inappropriate to me, John. I don't know what your take on it is, but it just doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel uh, right. And I mean, the fact that the the millionth was built, number one, it's a 1955 Chevy Bel Air. There are thousands of those cars. They were, they were mass, mass, mass produced cars. There are plenty of them still on the road to take an original and heck do the research on the VIN number and find the closest existing VIN number you can to that 50 millionth car and turn that into the recreation. At least it is a real car that rolled off the same line as the 50 millionth. I mean, heck you can even which assembly plant built the 50 millionth car and get a car from that same plant to build it out of parts that are, you know, basically repair parts and that are out there now it just it's to me it just i I don't even know the word for it it's it's just yuck well i'm gonna jump in and you had presented me some questions and like me didn't give me any opportunities to answer i'm I'm trying to give you the other end of the microphone today john i i know that's and, and and it's working and of course i had some technical issues too but it's it's completely, I agree with you, completely wrong. They built, I don't know, millions, but they built hundreds of thousands of these cars. There's plenty of original parts. There's, if if the car's lost, the car's lost. And this is, a, I think, a very solid example of marketing. All the way from day one, when we have the 50 millionth uh, Chevrolet and come see the 50 millionth General Motors car in the, at this autorama or on display or look at these pictures of it or watch this movie of it. And none of these, these cars are built in October. These are the 49 millionth, 950,000, you know, car. And then we have original car that's put in the parade and, oh, wow, with typical GM of the 50s and 
I'm sorry, typical General Motors and with no no accountability for history, but only accountability for the bottom line, the car's lost. How the hell do you lose a gold uh, 55 Chevrolet? I mean, they built three of them. Can't be that hard to keep track of this car. And then, like you said, here we are. Well, in the 90s, General Motors did locate the one car that was sold to the customer. It was still, it was found, that customer absolutely refused to sell. And the article says 30 some odd years ago, which would have put it at 94 or so. And then mysteriously, the car was lost in a fire in 96, a garage fire. And then the owner, instead of calling General Motors and saying, hey, you know, the car got damaged, give me a hundred grand for it or whatever. He cut it up into little bits and buried it all over his property. And, hello, Duck Dynasty. And now this company, that core business is reproducing restamped bodies for 55 to 57 Chevrolets, 67 to 69, and 70 to 81 Camaros and Firebirds, plus some Chevy 2s and Novas, as the article says. They stamp brand new bodies. This is the company that finds this gentleman, is able to acquire the rights to dig up these parts and then takes possession of them. This, I'm sorry, this story is outlandish to me as Craig Jackson finding the original motor for one of his Hemi Cuda convertible in Italy buried in a field. It's, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say my opinion Strictly my opinion, and it's nothing. There's a lot of funny things that I'd like more details about here on the history. And then the car, you know, then they they recreate the car, like you said, with their stampings, with their parts, etc. And this article goes into great detail of how these bodies are made. And the guy, one of the founders of this restoration company that was founded in 2011 is from Taiwan, and he spent his youth in a stamping plant. And, I mean, this, it's the perfect story. Make make, make for a great movie uh, if you have really good errors and omissions and liability insurance. But it's it's now, just now, so John, funny. But, funny but how getting on that, yeah, getting on that part about the Taiwanese stamping plant, this is what kills me, okay? This, they've, they've built this of the 50 millionth Bel Air, right? But this is the way they start the process to make these newly stamped bodies. Okay, just listen to this. We, this is, okay, I'm gonna quote, we start by shipping a complete vehicle to Taiwan. A plaster mold is made for each part before the original donor body is cut apart, end quote. They literally took an original 55 Chevy Bel Air at some point, shipped it to Taiwan, and cut it to pieces. And now they build a completely fake 55 Chevy Bel Air 50 millionth car. Yeah, it's just, there's everything wrong with this. And I'm not sure what the publicity around this car is going to be. But to be honest, I don't think the publicity around this car is any less correct than what General Motors did in 1955, considering they built three 50 millionth cars and lied about two of them. Now that we've built a new 50 millionth car, what, 70 years later? 
and we're lying about it too. So <laughs> there, there's the constant piece of history involved with this car. But here's the thing. Even in, in the automotive history world, we can clarify all that, right? We can say, like this article does, the first 1955 Bel Air was the, you know, photo car, the press PR car, the was to star in a movie because they wanted to have all that press leading up to it. And then you can clarify that that third car was the true 50 millionth car. Now, at the time, did they say that? No, you're right, John. They, they, you know, well, it's, it's going to look the same. So people will just think it's the same car. Now in history, we can clarify those things. This car is just, it, it needs to be assigned the recreation term. I mean, and, and I want to clarify because, you know, I knew there were parts in it. I mentioned the engine, um, you know, the, basically the driveline power glide transmission, uh, 355 to one rear axle, uh, you know, obviously new tires from those, uh, probably, probably the tires that are on it are made at one of the Vietnamese, uh, you know, uh, companies or factories, but they did use uh, the instrument panel, the steering column, steering wheel, and interior trim are new old stock original General Motors parts. So there are original 1955 Bel Air components within this vehicle. But I mean, that might total 15%, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to figure out exactly how many parts there are in a Bel Air and how many parts they use that are original. But let's take a, a, a shot in the dark at say 15% of this car is original 1955 Bel Air. I mean, I think what what bothers me is that even the frame is a brand new frame. Like it just of all things are are solid. I mean, it's it's yeah, they some that great north that rot out pretty badly, but you can find really solid frames still to this day. I mean, there's an ad on some guy down here in the Tennessee area has a a you know, field behind his barn and he's got like eight or 10 1930s frames he's trying to sell that are in perfect condition still. It just, I don't understand why you have to do other than like you, I think what you were touching on, John, this is really just marketing for their company. This is what they're doing. They're, they're making a car to market their company and what they do. Well, even the article gives like I said, the background, how they make these stampings, you know, shipping a car over, how stampings are, what's involved, the sand castings, the plaster molds. And then they tell you how much, you know, we can easily understand why these costs, I think it's $21,000. 21, yeah. 21000 and change. I was involved in a restoration. Maybe you call it a recreation of a uh, 57 Chrysler 300C convertible. And that car came in so rusty and falling to pieces. The only thing that left the restoration shop that came in on that 300 was the cowl. We drilled out the spot wells, took the firewall and windshield frame off, and it brought in a different car as a donor. And we modified the frame to become a 300 frame, which included you cut the X member out of the 300 convertible and you moved it over to, and we used a New Yorker and put that inside the New Yorker frame. 
And then we used the New Yorker New Yorker floorboard. Uh, excuse me, we did use one of the quarter panels off the 300 also and brought that over. But this is technology 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, nobody's re-stamping 300C. The number of companies that are actually re-stamping bodies because this company isn't unique to this. And, you know, we restored this car. But what I'm saying is everything on that car was Chrysler. Everything on that car was period correct. You know, 57, 58. There was no faking, you know, oh, we're going to use this. or It has 64 Impala SS convertible that had probably sat outside 15 years with the top down in the rain. And we mentioned his name on the show before, but Thayton Ogle, when I was with White Post, is where this car was done. He, by hand, recreated 80 or 90% of this car. I mean, yes, we bought some rockers and bought some various reproduction panels, but this car had such extensive rot. He had, you know, when you, uh, uh, 64 Impala convertible doesn't exactly use the same rocker panels, et cetera. There is an inner structure to that. And he had to rebuild that inner structure out of heavy gauge steel. And of course, rust proof it because in a, originally it was a bare piece of reinforcement that went between these two rocker panel pieces. But everything on that car, we located, and it cost a fortune. I could have bought a repop grill for like $69. But we were very specific at the time at White Post. Everything on the car was as original as possible. We paid over $1,000 to get a new in-box OEM 64 Impala grill. It was, you know, it can be done really wanted this car to re-exist again. It could have been done properly and with GM parts. And yes, yeah, some of the original parts were used here. But to be honest, some of the easy parts were definitely not used here. And the ultimate goal, it says, is to be housed at the GM Heritage Center or the Henry Ford or the Sloan Museum. Now, GM Heritage and Sloan help partner in the recreation here. And I, 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 I don't know that I would use the term partner. Heritage they, Center allowed research to be done at their facility yes. to get pictures and, and articles. I don't know that that's partnering. Yeah, Anybody says, can request research. <laughs> yeah, they a restorer out of Kentucky. Kentucky. Uh, research and it says gathering it 300 period photos from the GM Heritage Center this and the Sloan Museum. So, and several private sources. And guess what? He plans on documenting that in those photos, uh, documenting the 10 month Restopalooza, as he calls it, in a coffee table book. <laughs> guess what? Here's a hundred dollar book. We're going to market also. This is to sell parts, this is to make you aware of a company. I guess to me it would be no it would be no different than I want a gold DeLorean. So I go and get all the replica parts that you know, they're replica parts being made for a DeLorean. And I go make my own Lotus Esprit chassis and put these parts on it and you know, just oh, and I, I got a sob motor out of a, De, a DeLorean or a Volvo motor, whatever it is. Yeah, you know, it's Okay, John, I want to I want to want to jump in. I want to jump in. Okay, number one, uh, if if some of our uh, 
Auto Driving Gloves community is out there watching, listening. Number one, start commenting. The, the point of the new live stream, we want to hear your comments about the topic we're talking about, okay? Because I'm going to move into my next question for John, because I have opinions on this, and he just brought it up. You brought up the fact that in the article, it says, quote, we believe that our golden 55 Chevy Bel Air Sport Coupe needs to be seen and enjoyed by the public at large on a daily basis. The ultimate goal is for it to be housed at either the GM Heritage Center, the Henry Ford Museum, or the Sloan Museum of Discovery in Flint, which has you know a fantastic collection. Number one, I interned there at the Sloan. I worked at the Henry Ford, and I have very, very close relations with the GM Heritage Center, okay? Just make that all clear right now. <clears throat> so we both lived either live or lived in the museum field. I still live in the museum field. John, you lived in it for a very, very long time. I know where I stand on this, but do you believe that this car belongs in a museum? And and number two, one of the key factors or, or key you know words in this quote that he says is on a daily basis, seen on a daily basis. I'm going to leave the daily basis a little bit alone, but realistically, and I'm going to be a little blunt here, I think these three facilities, it has a snowball's chance in hell of ever being on daily display, let alone them accepting it for their collections. I see this vehicle ending up at the Volvo, Volo Car Museum in Northern Illinois, which is technically just a car dealer that displays cars for people to look at. Possibly the possibly maybe the Imperial Palace collection, the old Harris thing, it could it, because it, it's kind of Vegasy. I could see it showing up in Vegas. I cannot see a world-renowned, um, what am I looking for? I can't see a real historian allowing this into their collection without extensive, extensive signage explaining, explaining what it was and not being displayed as the 50 millionth 55 Chevy. It may be as a, recre you know, with a cre recre recre yeah, recreation sign. That's what you get with live broadcasting. But honestly, like I said, these three facilities, if, if they did accept it, the odds of it being on daily display, no, it's, I see it going into what I interviewed with the Henry Ford. You know, they have these warehouses hidden on city and they took me to a lot of these it's going to end up in one of those under a plastic cover never to be seen again plus it's also a, a general motors product yes i understand henry ford is not or the henry Absolutely. ford is not manufacturer specific but there's just something about a gm celebration car it seems wrong in there yeah exactly and as as a someone who's been a director of collections curator of collections for a long time conservator background i see I, I agree with John here. I see it hard pressed that any three of these institutions are going to bring it in, knowing knowing you know those institutions, having a, a institutional knowledge of of each of those places. And you know, I will say, I know because again, I worked there for so many years, Henry Ford Museum does have a replica in the collection. They have the replica of Henry Ford's first car, uh, first race car, the 1901 sweepstakes. 
they also have a replica of the quadricycle. Okay. Both of the real cars still in the museum on exhibit. The replicas are used for operational purposes because the historic value of the two originals is so much that you don't want anything to happen to them, right? You don't want to be running the original quadricycle and have a rod snap and tear the little engine that Henry Ford himself built to pieces. That's just inappropriate. If you know, it's, it's not responsible from a museum standpoint. So So I was going to throw the Henry Ford and this is, it's pure speculation on me. This would be like them going to the Snyder's catalog and ordering a Model T frame, a Model T body, Model, Model T everything. And you can buy every single piece for a Model T from Snyder's and assembling it and say, hey, this is the 15 millionth Model T or whatever. That's exactly what these people did. You know, we painted it the same color. It was black. I'm trying to remember what, or maybe it was late enough. 15 millionth is green. Yeah, I was thinking maybe it, it is late. It enough lives in the collection at the Henry Ford. <laughs> <laughs> but but I was I was thinking maybe it is late enough that it was available in a color choice. But that's exactly what these people did. They went to a catalog. Granted, they owned the catalog. They ordered all the pieces they could, and the pieces they couldn't, they sourced elsewhere, which just happened to be. I doubt if they're selling a power glide transmission. I doubt if they're selling, you know, a lot of the mechanicals. Looks like a lot of the mechanicals is what carried over. But everything that they physically could sell, and really there's kind of a picture of them standing by electroplated gold chassis with these gold hubcaps and the gold grill and the gold emblems. And it's, those are things this company sells. Yes, the drivetrain's in the car, excuse me. But that picture is what this company sells. And to me, Snyder's is the easiest way to say it. And don't get me wrong. I mean, when you watch a Goodwood, a lot of those Ferrari GTOs out there are recreations. A lot of them are being driven by guys that had the recreation done because they don't want to put their $60 million Ferrari GTO out there. But those cars are also done differently. They're handmade. They're, and there's not somebody stamp, stamping a body for a Ferrari GTO. It's not that... I have a $60 million Ferrari GTO at home, and this is a fiberglass replica on a 280Z. No, these cars are very, very exacting and very, very close. And a lot of the times, like I said, they own the original, they race the replica. Uh, the Barber Museum, for example, where, of course, I was affiliated with for many, many years. They have John Surtees' Ferrari one. Um, 158 1964 world championship car and it's to 1964 specifications etc some parts had to be made for that car but what they realized when they were making the car is it wouldn't be that hard to build a recreation so and that car kind of required a recreation because the original cars museum in a red paint job final four years of their final four races, Ferrari had pulled out of the F1 series because of political disputes. Surprise, surprise. Enzo did not get along with something the FIA was saying. And Surtees ran the final four races in a white car with a blue stripe. So this allows the museum to display both cars. And we kind of joked, 
And when Surtees came to visit, we got mad because we took the original Momo steering wheel, first steering wheel Momo ever made, which was in his car and put it on the replica. And my boss joked with John that, ah, this is this is actually an original car too because it has an original piece on it. That's kind of what we're saying here. Now, Surtees got mad and before he left, that steering wheel was put back on his car. But <laughs> it, it, you know, and that's really what we've done here. Taking that replica, we put one real piece on it and called it the car. And unfortunately, I want to say in the um, underworld of the car hobby, this happens quite often with fake cars and that. And here we are with a fake car. And I guess we shouldn't have said the name of the company that printed this article, but and here it is, Hagerty kind of writing an article about this being the car. I mean, they say recreation and all that, but it's being presented as the 50 millionth Chevrolet um, as a Restopalooza, not a Restomod, not a restoration, not a recreation. I like that word, Restopalooza. I don't. It kind of just sounds like a party that nobody knows what's going on, and that's where we're at. No, oh, hey, I, that definition of it, I, I like. Now, don't get me wrong here. I don't mind replicas and recreations. As I've said, work in museums that have those things. Sometimes because the car no longer exists, like in this case. But I'm going to clarify this, folks. Let's, let's stay. I'm, I'm, I, everyone here knows I'm the curator of collections at the Lane Motor Museum right now. It is very well known that we have a replica of the Dimaxian car number one, the first car, the first Dimaxian car that our Buckminster Fuller built. That car was destroyed in an accident and lost to history. They did not rebuild the car, anything like that. The only Dimaxian car of the three that were built that still exists, car number two, which is at uh, the National Automobile Museum in Reno, Nevada. Highly go see the place. When the Lane Museum decided that they wanted a replica of the Damaxian car because of its significance, historically, they elected to build a replica as accurately as possible to that car. But that was the only number one car ever built, and it's lost to history. Okay, but we still, I say we, it was before I worked there. The museum still built it as authentically as possible using, you know, an original flathead V8 Ford engine that got restored, you know, everything they could that was the way it and parts that were original to period so that it would be as authentic as possible. Now, for safety reasons, the one major change that was made was the steering was re-engineered a little bit it's still a terrible car to drive because it's a three-wheeler with a single rear wheel that is the steering wheel that is the actual they bucky did not do great engineering on the car let's put it that way but for safety reasons that had to be tweaked a little it's completely understandable but the car is as authentic as possible it's not using you know some taiwanese recast uh flathead v8 engine or it's it's using as many original components and parts as possible the way Bucky would have done it in period, okay? Uh, Henry Ford Museum, the replica of the 1901 Ford sweepstakes that Henry Ford built 
that famously won the race against Alexander Winton, all of that. Ford themselves built those recreations using the original car from Henry Ford Museum, disassembling it, scanning it, measuring every part, and recreating those parts at Ford, or at Ford suppliers, I should say. When they got the cars completed, and the engineer that was involved in building them, who is a, a, a friend of mine, I've known him for a long time, uh, who actually taught me how to drive the car. When he was first driving the cars and breaking them in and making sure they were doing what they were doing, you know, that they were going to run and do what wanted them to do, they had built the cars so accurately to the original that the replicas had the exact same failures that Henry noted in 1901 that the original car had. Bearings that, that burn out were the same bearings that Henry had burn out. The cylinder that cracked was the same cylinder that cracked on the replica. All of it was so exact that it had the same problems. That is incredible. And the cars weighed 10 pounds different. They were so close, they were only 10 pounds off. That, to me, is a replica. Either the car was a one-off and it's lost to history and you recreate it for the sake of history, I get you could claim that the 50 millionth was a one off because there's only one 50 millionth, although there were three in this case, blah, blah, blah. But there were I don't know the total production number of 1955 Bel Airs. I'm sure we could look it up quick. Maybe John will do that. But there were thousands upon thousands of 55 Bel Airs. Okay, and we can even break it down to sport coupes if you want. See, they probably you can find out how many sport coupes were built. It would not be that hard to go out and find, like I said earlier, one of the closest VIN-numbered sport coupes and turn that into the 50 million. There's no, in my opinion, there's no reason to go get a bunch of you the Taiwanese parts that are being built and build this fake car out of all these parts. I mean, think about it this way, John. You said the thing from that 300 that you you worked on that was left was the firewall and now mm -hmm. i don't specifically know but my assumption is because the firewall is where the vin was on the 300s so it kept the vin number right um i can't remember kansas was really funny the state to come and remove the vin number they took the tag with them and then they brought oh, okay. it back and i think so, it was on the cow but to go so to anyway okay go, ahead. go to your production numbers um, uh, 1.7 million cars produced by Chevrolet in 55, 770,955. So basically 771,000 were Bel Airs and the six, uh, see here, six cylinder, lost it here, two door hard top, which would be the sport coupe. They built 185,000 of them. 185,562. The only car they built more of was the uh, four-door sedan at 345,000. And okay, the okay. two-door so sedan... Hold right there. How many sport... Sport... 185,500. Okay, 185,500. That's a whole sport coupes being built, right? Here's the next thing. This replica of the 50 millionth, it doesn't even have a GM bin number. Had they went out... <clears throat> and got one of the actual sport coupes 
that had been built in 55. I don't care if it was the, you know, what would have been GM's 49 millionth, 927th, whatever, whatever one was closest to the actual 50 millionth VIN number, you'd have an original GM VIN number. This card doesn't even have an original GM VIN number. It's just, it's mind blowing to me. I get it when it's a, a, I mean, the sweepstakes, of course, there's no VIN number on that built the replicas. They built them as accurately as possible. They had the same problems as, you know, the original car, the Damaxian car. Number one, that we have a plane built as close to the original as possible off the blueprints, off the details from photos that could be found in everything that was known about that car. Okay. This is a 55 Bel Air sport coupe. There's probably still I mean, 185,000, there's probably still a couple thousand of these at existence. It just doesn't make sense. If you're going to build a replica or recreation, make it as authentic as possible. Why make it out of newly stamped parts? Especially in the case, I mean, yes, if it was a one-off car that's lost, you got to make new stamped parts, hand-formed, whatever. But in the case of a car that there were hundreds, 185,000 built, just go get another one. Restore it. Why create a whole new car? Like it's I said, just, the, uh, this is a marketing exercise. This is to highlight the ability of what was originally done. Um, they do say on this car, I just saw this paragraph. I must have missed it every time I've read that the paint here is a custom mix uh, logically dubbed tribute gold. So they're called a color a tribute. 5.5 gallons of paint, which I'm going to bet that's probably a mix of the uh, hardener and paint and all that other stuff, but at $1,200 per gallon, which really isn't that expensive for paint. L the list of 24 karat gold plated parts includes interior, exterior trim, ID badges, both bumpers, grill, wheel covers, and over 100 nuts, bolts, and screws, and the plating topped 100 grand. But where did the one article say? And this sums up the car, if I can find this one paragraph. And I would definitely want to say that, but I, I lost it when I was looking for production numbers. Oh, come on. Do you remember? It's weird how easy things in this article get hidden. Yeah. Oh, come on. Where's my restoration palooza? A resto palooza word. I was going to say, I didn't even pick up on that word. <laughs> like when you said that, I don't remember that being in the article. Yeah. Carry it me probably through just here. means I ignored it. <laughs> I definitely want to read this. Uh, we also reply or supply restores with steel frames, chrome plated bumpers, complete get glass kits, fuel tanks, door handles, latches, and heater boxes. That'll give you an idea of some of the reproduction parts that are in here. So anyway, yeah. Well, John's looking for that. Yeah. I mean, this is this is <clears throat> this is my take on it. I mean, it's just to me, this car makes no sense in the way it's been recreated it's as john said it is a marketing ploy by the company that makes these parts i don't really think it's of use in the automotive history realm had it been built from an original 55 chevy sport coupe it would be more valuable to automotive history than the way it has been done because it would have used original parts original components things that people could study to understand how things were done in 1955. Well, here, I found my paragraph. I want to read this because it kind of, it'll clarify some of the stuff we said. 
I don't know, like a company makes door handles, door latches, all of that. And I'm going to leave the shop's name out that assembled this car because I don't want to hold it against them. They do what they're paid to do. But Blank Personnel constructed a new chassis carrying a 265 cubic inch 4.3 liter V8 engine um, rated at 162 gross horsepower, a two-speed power automatic transmission, and a 355 to one rear axle. The tires are 6, 6.7 by 15 U.S. Royal Bias Ply Tires from Coker Tire. Instrument panel, steering column, and steering wheel parts are all original GM. Interior trim is new old stock. Nearly a thousand enthusiasts helped follow this recreation project on Facebook. So some NOS parts were used, some original GM parts were used, but I bet if you go through... Uh, what's I'm drawing a blank on whoever built this thing. Our catalog, you'll find out everything that was used NOS or restored original is stuff they do not sell. Just a hunch. <clears throat> but I think maybe part of Derek and I's frustration is just this one article. And I didn't go through all the Facebook posts. I didn't go through all that to see how this car has been presented. But just the title of this one article, Epic Revival, GM's 50 millionth car rides again. Completely wrong. Yeah, sorry. No, it doesn't. <clears throat> it never will. <laughs> the actual 50 millionth car will never ride again. Oh, I'm reading an error here, but. Uh-oh. An error in the article or an error that we made? I oh, a uh, technical error, but. Oh, all right. So, again, guys, uh, you know, I know it's Sunday morning. This is a uh, kind of what we'll call maybe our beta test uh, live stream episode. But as we move into more live streams, when we get into it like this and John and I have one opinion, if you guys differ, man, we want to hear your comments. We want you to put them up on Facebook, Instagram, wherever we're, you know, live streaming to. John will get the feed. You know, John kind of questions over at his desk. I'll see some of them, at least I should, and we'll we'll bring you into the conversation. We'll bring your comments in. We'll 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 talk about it, and we don't care if you disagree with us. I mean, we're always right, but we don't care if you disagree. Uh, adds, we like proving people wrong, exactly. Oh, and this is our uh, kind of our final practice, and we do understand this is Sunday morning at Central Time, give or take. So. We didn't get quite the same viewer numbers, but that was expected. This, again, was working out. We had a few bugs pop up, and it that's what happens during a live show. You'll be amazed the number of issues that happen during live, truly live shows that don't have a $40 million production budget. But we had a lot of people come through on Instagram. We thank you. We had a few people pop in on um, Facebook and YouTube. This is always there for you. Where are we at on, on, on this, Derek? Do we just go ahead and say, yeah, we're going to agree to disagree on, I guess, I'm going to say the car. Nice the car exists so we can kind of see it. It just needs to start. Are the, I don't know. I'm gonna, I don't know if it's actually the press or even RDS that's misrepresenting this car. But this car needs to be clearly represented as to what it is. And that's where I'm going to leave it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we we agree here that you know, no driving gloves. That uh, okay, it's it's interesting that the car's been redone. 
yeah, replicated, whatever, all it. It's it's a shame that it was done the way it was. Yeah, again, in my opinion, it, it should have been done off an original sport coupe, not completely new parts, uh, other than those ones we did list uh, that are NOS originals. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, to me, <clears throat> you look at it, it's a 55 Chevy sport coupe uh, painted gold. I mean, uh, at least with some of the other replicas and recreations that are out there, they're cars that, you know, you, you never see, right? I mean, this, just go look at a heavy Bel Air Sport Coupe painted gold, and you know what the car looks like. So that's, to me, that's uh, not not crazy. But I think there's a little more to this car than what just the paint job, but it's going to lead into another show topic at some point of, we're complaining about this car and the way it's presented, and it needs to be presented better to the public. But what about Joe Schmuck, who does the exact same thing? He just gets out the RDS catalog, orders everything, has a shop, build his car, and he's now driving around in a 55 Chevrolet. And when he goes to sell it, it's going to go onto eBay or Hemmings or bring a trailer or whatever. As a 55 Chevrolet, the only thing that's going to be the odd oddball out is the VIN number, however he VINs it, whether it's a specialty or a specially assembled vehicle or whether or not he goes out and buys it. You know, rusted out 55 Chevy and moves the VIN tag over. Um, we recommend that practice. This just goes, I talked to one of these rebody companies years and years ago at Carlisle, one of the first ones to ever do this, and I won't get too specific. That's what they recommended doing. Because my question was, how, how do I register this? And they, Well, you go out and you buy X car, then you just buy the worst one you possibly can, can find and move the numbers. Yeah, no driving gloves is not recommending that. But where this article leads to, obviously, a further discussion of counterfeit cars and how this stuff's represented. Because if something this public is represented th this way, Joe Schmuck's, car is definitely represented represent incorrectly represented boy i wish i could talk on sunday morning ah that's okay the coffee hasn't kicked in and this is our last sunday broadcast so moving into the future hopefully everybody remembers that the no driving gloves podcast live stream will be thursday nights at nine central 10 eastern and whatever else that is in the other time zones i don't know here, east of the Mississippi, we only deal with two, and that's all I pay attention to. So, it's very uh, simple: eight Mountain and seven Pacific. Yeah, whatever. Specific or and Pacific? I think that would be it's either two or three o'clock here in Hawaii. Okay, well there. You and go. I'm sorry about Alaska. You probably don't even have internet. Yeah, uh, the great, the great white north. Uh, so, starting this coming Thursday, February 29th, No Loves the podcast live stream. 9 o'clock Central, 10 Eastern, and all the other times that John just listed. And with that, I'm going to say, please remember to help us grow, share the show, and thanks for listening. John is out. Push all these buttons.